Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. In today's show, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Joel Wade, author, psychotherapist, and life coach who centered his work on happiness. Now, this is about true happiness and well-being, not just simply the happiness of feeling good in a lucky moment of pleasure, uh, but instead a set of skills, a practice, and an attitude towards life that can be learned and applied within whatever circumstances you're in. So, Dr. Joel Wade, welcome to the show this morning. Thanks. Good to be here. Excellent. Well, Bruce, thank you, and welcome to the show as well. That's great. I, uh, Rachel, um, we've said this before, but I, I'm just really happy that we get these kind of guests on. And I want to, t- I want to take a little shot, shout out to a couple of listeners, Patrick McCart- McCartney, uh, McCarthy, Lee Mattis, Chuck Foz, and Nene, because they've reached out to me recently and talked about how they really like listening to the show and, and the quality of the guests. And I don't think they're going to be disappointed with Dr. Joel today. So um, I'm really excited for the podcast. That's excellent. 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 Well, let me just um, show you how this connects into the cash flow system and tell you a little bit about Dr. Joel Wade, and then we will jump into the conversation today. So here at The Money Advantage, we are a community of wealth creators. We're entrepreneurially minded business owners who are really recognizing that it's more than just about making a good income, but really about taking control of our lives and financial destiny being able to create time and money freedom and be in a position of truly creating a life and business that we love. Now, we've put together a three-step cash flow system for business owners to help them on this journey. And so with that cash flow system, first, we keep in control as much of the money we make as possible. We then protect that money and wealth. Then we use our money to make more money and start working for us along that path to time and money freedom. Now, where this conversation fits in that cash flow system is in the foundational level because everything really centers and comes back to your mindset and your mindset about wealth and wealth creation is very, very important and critical. And that's where this conversation falls today. So who is Dr. Joel Wade? Well, Joel F. Wade is a PhD in marriage and family therapist and life coach. He's also the author of The Virtue of Happiness, Mastering Happiness and the Happiness the Mastering Happiness podcast, and, and an in-depth course called A Master's Course in Happiness, all drawing from the increasingly useful research in psychology in general and positive psychology in particular. Now, his nearly four decades in working with people professionally, he's written regularly for a variety of publications, including The New Individualist, The Good Men Project, and Beyond Wealth columns for the Oxford Club. He's also a world-class athlete, having won multiple national and world championships in water polo. Now, Dr. Wade enjoys teaching clear, practical skills and ideas that can be used immediately, inspiring his readers and listeners to take effective steps towards a more rewarding, joyful, and resilient life. And isn't that what we all want? So as a life coach, he works with people around the world. And again, we'll have this link at the end, but he can be found at drjoelwade.com. Now, let's dive in. Dr. Wade, thank you again so much for being here on the show today. Well, thank you, Rachel. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, your work is just fascinating. And I want to first ask you, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to this work in happiness and this concept? Well, I guess it actually started when I was, when I was 20, I took a workshop with Nathaniel Endeavors Brandon. And at the time I was a biology major in college. And that weekend I decided to, that I I knew what I wanted to do. And I changed my major to psychology and and Nathaniel and Evers both became important mentors and friends to me. Mm. And um, it, the thing that really drew me at the time was they were happy. At the time, I had this idea of, of psychologists as, you know, with a goatee and a notepad and very judgmental. And I know more about you than you know about yourself <laughs> kind of thing. And what they were doing was helping people to live uh, happier, better lives, effective lives. And uh, fast forward about about 18 years later, uh, Marty Seligman became the president of the American Psychological Association. And his, his theme, what he wanted to, to create was 
what became the field of positive psychology. He wanted to shift the emphasis away from just treating symptoms to what makes a flourishing, uh, you know, flourishing, happy, successful life. Mm-hmm. And what are the habits for that? And one of the things that we found uh, through all the research, he also got tons of research funding. And so there's been some wonderful, uh, a great body of research that we can stand on. And one of the things that we found and that I've found in my own practice is when you focus on what you're aiming for, the, the problems become smaller in, in comparison. So you have a bigger context it, from which to, to view the problems and more resources to tackle the problems with. Mm, so I love that. Yeah. So it's kind of, it kind of came full circle for me. And, and uh, uh, it, when, when Seligman came out with that, it reminded me where I came from, you know, what, what originally inspired me. And it really, really was a delightful moment for me. That's excellent. And I remember that name, Marty Seligman. And mm-hmm. I think that's because of him being the author of Positive Psychology in general, right? Yeah. Well, he also did the original research on learned helplessness. And, oh, okay. And so where, where he found that, that animals, when they were in a situation they couldn't escape from, uh, even when they were then put in a situation where they could, a good percentage of them didn't. They just kind of gave up. Since then, what what he and, and his co-researcher at the time have discovered is actually the the kind of hunkering down is this that's that's the sort of steady state that that's that's what normally happens. You know, we wait and hunker down for bad things to pass. It's the resourcefulness and figuring out how to how to deal with the situation and in, in, you know maybe unique ways, that's what's learned. Mm. That, that sense of, okay, here's a problem, let's solve it. That's that's the part that's that's more learned. Oh, wow. Okay, so yeah. this is fascinating in general, mm-hmm. just in terms of thinking, that if we want to create this happiness, I mean, I yeah. heard you say it before, that it's about something that you can learn. It's a yeah. habit, it's an action, it's not something that some people are just born with and some people are not, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, people, we have different temperaments. So you'll have people that will look happier. I mean, you, you might see somebody that doesn't have much, you know, cheerfulness to them, but, but you may find that inside they're actually really having a great time. Because mm. um, some people are more demonstrative, some people have bigger emotions, and some people are more expressive. But what's important isn't to compare yourself with other people. And, you know, like there's some. Like Facebook standard of here's a great life. Look at look right. at all my best pictures. It's it's. Uh, I know we're on Facebook, so no offense to Facebook, right. <laughs> but um, but it's really about given your temperament and your situation. How do you make the best of it, and how do you make your best life? I think you're drawing so many elements together that I think we um, probably will go completely off script and have a really authentic <laughs> conversation today. But so how do you define happiness then? So happiness, as I think about it, is Aristotle talked about it as eudaimonia, which uh, my favorite definition of that is success is being human. So it's not about... It's great when things go your way, you know, when you get what you want or, or when you have a, you know, you're in a good mood. Uh, that's wonderful, but you can't base your life's happiness on that because it's, it's, uh, you can't depend on it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of external to that. There's some luck to that. Right. Um, so it's really more, for me, it's more a matter of being happy about your life. So one of the things, um, you can think of is what do I want? How do I want to feel tomorrow about what I'm doing now? Mm-hmm. You know, if, 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 uh, if I have a decision to maybe do something that's challenging and, and scary, but expansive and, and that I value or avoiding that, how will I feel tomorrow if I avoid it? Well, I won't feel very happy about what I did. But if I do it and, and kind of deal with the short-term anxiety, then I'll feel much better about myself tomorrow. And so those kind of choices are what 
create overall over time a happier life. So you're saying the difference between <clears throat> happy about your life versus happy about the circumstances, which would then be if it's about my life, it's something I can control or do. Yes. Whereas if, uh, if I'm just happy about the circumstances, I don't have any control. Yeah. Matter, and I'm just an object or a, a victim almost of circumstance, right? Exactly. And then yet that puts you in a helpless place. Mm -hmm. And that, that difference between what we can control and what we can't control is so crucial. Like for, like I play water polo and if I'm in a game and I'm thinking we got to win, we got to win, or I hope we win, or I think we can win, or I don't know if we're going to win. And I'm thinking about the score. I really don't have control over that score. I have my input. I'm a goalkeeper, so I can't even score. So I can, if I block every shot and we don't score a goal, we're still not going to win. So what I do have control over is my own focus and attention and skills and playing my best. So if my focus is on playing my best, then we have the best chance of winning. But if I'm too attached to we have to win or I'll be miserable, um, then I'm at the mercy of all kinds of forces that I don't have control over. So, Rachel, I gotta I gotta step in here. Oh, please do. So, um, I'm gonna go to the water polo first. Um, do, do you know Pomona Pitzer by chance? That that college? I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just with a friend of mine, um, David Deemer, and his son Daniel Deemer was a goalkeeper for them. In oh. Was a 2017. Uh, a player of the year for them in that conference. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, we, and I was just with them this weekend, and it's kind of all tying together from what some of the, it's amazing how it all comes together, isn't it? Yeah. So we were actually talking about he was so happy that he was buying this new house, and he goes, um, I just want to show it to people that I'm happy. And he, and I, and he goes, aren't you, aren't you happy about this area? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, you don't <laughs> seem happy. <laughs> and, and people – People accuse me of that all the time. And, you know, they say, well, you just don't seem like you're that happy. But I, I am not a demonstrative, like, mm -hmm. happy person. But I'm happy. It's just not my personality. Yeah. So, so it's kind of neat that you brought that in and you brought your water polo in. And then I could bring it right back into my friend who's, whose son was an all-American you know, all uh, goalie at, at Pitzer. So it's, uh. it's amazing, these synergies. And then the other thing I wanted to bring in was um, – I was, I was also a biology major and a biology teacher in my mm -hmm. first career. Ah. And, you know, I'm always thinking of it from that perspective. Um, but I, I want to take this. You, you, you're talking about as far as joy. Can you, can you talk about it as far as this concept of love also? Mm. Uh, because um, I recently met a person, uh, Mark Battiato, and he's starting to become a little bit of a mentor to me. We got talking about, and he's, he's gone through marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. And you're, I mean, that's one of your specialties. Mm -hmm. And he said, the counselor said, well, what, what's going on? And um, I don't think it was his life, but he was talking about other people. He said, they come in and they say, I just don't love her anymore. Mm. And his advice was, the counselor's was, well, just love her. Uh -huh. And he said, well, no, you're not listening to me. I just don't love her anymore. He goes, no, just love her. It's that simple. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I don't know if it is that simple, but it sounds like what you're saying here is that you just have to focus on the happiness. You know, mm -hmm. you just have to be happy. Don't focus on the the circumstances. Is there any connection there? Yeah, and I I I wouldn't say you know you can have a happy life and have some miserable times. I mean, sometimes things don't go. Sometimes we have to deal with tragedy, and you know, I've lost some dear friends this last couple of years. And that's nothing happy about that. But how you deal with it, <clears throat> you can feel good about or bad about. And so, um, so it's not just about being being happy. It's 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 sort of paradoxical. In order to have a happy life, you want to also face and acknowledge the negative things and the hurt and the anger and the fear and the, the pain and the loss. And all. you want to be able to look at, look at that in the eye and say, okay, that's awful, but don't stay there for very long. Uh, it's like I, I there's a, a fellow um, <clears throat> that was talking about how 
uh, people said, say to him, you know, well, you never give up. And he said, yeah, I do. I give up all the time. I just don't give up for very long. Mm. And so the key is to, to face, you know, whatever the, the hardship is or whatever the challenge or the pain, face it and then redirect it. And so redirect yourself towards, okay, here's what's happening. I acknowledge it. I accept it. Welcome. And now what is there to do? So that process is really essential for keeping the, the movement alive, keeping your, your, your own movement, positive movement and expansion alive. Because what can happen is we can get into, a, you know, something can hurt us and then we keep orbiting around it. And I had some great aunts that were having this conversation about their sister who, who had done something awful that they were really, really angry about. And they were talking about this thing and, yo, how could she do that? That was so awful. That was just outrageous. Well, it turns out these, these women at the time were in their late seventies. This happened when they were, you know, 12, 13, oh, wow. <laughs> so okay. 60 years later, they're still orbiting around this wound that they had. Um, so our emotions are about, about experiencing what's happening and, and learning what to do with it better in the future. Most of our emotions are actually about the future. It's not like, well, they did something, so I'm angry. It's more they did something and I'm angry. That's telling me I need to take steps to, to see if I can have that not happen again in the future. <clears throat> so so the, it, emotions, you know, emotion is part of the word emotion. And so that's, that's the essential element of, of, of our feelings and our experience. So, uh, but getting back to what you're saying about, about love, um, a couple of things. I, could, I mean, we could talk for a long time about this. But first of all, romantic love is something we created. We made it up. And, and it's somewhere in the Middle Ages. Uh, the, I, the concept of it was created. I'm sure... Romeo and you, Juliet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and that wasn't a very good example. But <laughs> I mean, that's not something I would encourage people to follow as a, as a script. But, but yeah, but it was it was during that time that it really blossomed as a concept. So what's important about romantic love is to realize it's not an automatic thing. It's not a biological thing. Some elements are obviously, but it's a, a, a happy relationship. A happy marriage is something that we create every day. And so you can focus. If you want to fall out of love, it's easy. All you do is spend all your time focusing on your mate's faults and, and the things that annoy you. And you can find them. We all have, I mean, we all do annoying things. It's just, you can focus on it and you can find it and you can do that. If you want to fall in love and be in love, and this isn't about being phony, by the way. This isn't about pretending something's there that isn't. It's what you emphasize. Uh, you want to look for the best within your mate. And the happiest marriages, uh, the assessment of each other is always better than assessments of even your closest friends. So happy couples see the best within each other and focus on that and spend their time with that. And, and you want to find the, the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottman have found in their mm -hmm. research, you want to have about a five to one positive to negative ratio of emotional experience together to have a, to have a good marriage. And that can, you can have more than that, of course, but that's sort of the baseline. If you drop beneath that, that's when you can have some trouble. So it's fascinating. Yeah. So um, uh, the, the other thing I think about oftentimes is that, and I think of that, about this from, you know, I also was an athlete. I also coached for years. And when I had championship teams or when I experienced winning, it was, it was frankly made a lot better because I had experienced the losing. Yeah. And, and, the, and the euphoria mm -hmm. of that particular situation. So it's not that you – I often tell people – uh, if we didn't have red lights, we wouldn't need green, or if we didn't have green lights, we need, wouldn't need red lights. I mean, there's, 
there's a there's a usefulness of seeing the other side but not staying on the other side exactly it, bring, it brings the euphoria up and the maximum appreciation of that feeling yeah absolutely yeah you have to you have to have the whole thing or you just habituate the the good stuff there's no per, there's no perspective if you don't yeah. have the other side yeah. yeah, and what I would even add to that, I feel that, I mean, sometimes the things that you've had to work for, you value the most as opposed to something that was just given. So if we just automatically were always happy and it wasn't something that we had to work at, this mindset and choosing to view things in a positive way and choosing to respond in a way that's congruent and authentic to our value system and the per the person that we want to be. I mean, if we didn't have to work at that, I don't know if we would get as much value or if happiness would be as much of a goal for as many people. Yeah, it would be boring. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be um, you know, if, if you win every game by, you know, five goals, then, okay, whoopee, we're going to go play another tournament and win every game by five goals. And it, it's fun, but it's not meaningful. Uh, because we want to have challenges that matter. We So, uh, Mahai Cheek sent me high did some wonderful work on flow, very famous, you know, really important work on absorption in what we do. And this is true for relationships or work or play that you want to have when we're totally absorbed in what we're doing, that's when we're the happiest. And, and we don't even feel it at the time. It's just looking back on because we're absorbed in what we're doing. We're not thinking about, well, how am I feeling right now? Um, but afterwards, you can go, wow, this is a really great life. Look at what I got to do today. Um, so that absorption requires a certain degree of challenge. If things are too easy, it's boring and we lose focus because, you know, we can do other things. We can multitask while we're doing it and then we're not absorbed. If it's too challenging, but so then it's overwhelming and we also don't get into that flow. So we need to have challenges that really really push us to expand and, and make ourselves, we're, we're creating more complexity in ourselves when, we, when we're in a total state of flow. And that requires, you know, you got to have challenges. You got to have things that you might fail at and then deal with really, those. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was actually going to ask you about that because I remembered seeing something about your work that you were talking about. It's more valuable to have that when you love your work, you love the, mm -hmm. the process of work, not necessarily just the outcome and when you yeah. fall in love with that. And I mean, I've seen this, I have read Montessori books on how um, even a young child and a baby can really be in that state of flow or work. And it's just really fascinating to watch a baby. I have a, a six month old baby today. Oh, uh, so she's, she's doing all this work and it's work to her, but she's, I mean, she's trying to sit up on her own and she's working at it over and over and over and over and over. And it's interesting because the Montessori method would say, don't intervene in that. Don't sit them up on, on your own. Don't rush them to another stage because you want them to be valued at the exact developmental level that they are. And they are getting so much joy out of the process. You don't yeah. want to shortcut that and then make them think, oh, it's just too easy. And then somebody else is going to do it for me. And then that incentivizes their brain to not try so hard. And so that whole idea of being in flow and also being this, um, like having a growth mindset and expanding who you mm -hmm. are as a person, I was going to ask you to comment on that, but how do you get into flow then and be in that state? Well, I think, you know, part of it is, so you, you brought up a growth mindset as, a, um, the, the biggest killer of that is what uh, uh, Carol Dweck calls a, a fixed trait mindset, where you think any success, any ability you have is just sort of inborn. So I'm, you know, if you're brilliant or, or talented or beautiful or, you know, what, uh, gifted or whatever uh, the thing is, then your successes are just uh, following the script. You, you, it's almost like you're not an agent in it. And oh, it that's also, fascinating. Okay. And, and so what that does is it creates a very fragile self-concept because what if you're brilliant, but you, you, you know, get a C on a test that, that can break you that, that it's like, well, I must not be brilliant anymore. So, so then any kind of challenge becomes a risk. It becomes a threat 
And so we tend to avoid those challenges because the best thing that can happen is, oh, great, I get another A. I'm, I always get A's because I'm brilliant. But um, the downside is much bigger because if I don't get an A, then I'm ruined. That's the mm-hmm. feeling you can have. And so the, the, the contrast is, you know, if you see your accomplishments as things that you've earned, that you're, you're learning and growing and, and, you know, practicing and putting work into it, and your accomplishments are a function of what you put into things, then you get to own it. Then you get to, then if you get a C on a test, you go, well, I must not have studied enough, or I must, I must need help with understanding these concepts because I'm not getting it. So what do I do to solve this problem? puts you in a problem-solving mindset, and then you find a way, then you can find a way through. If you're looking to solve a problem, if, if you think that the, a problem is, that there's a solution for it, and that you believe that you're capable of, of finding that solution, even if it takes a lot of work, then, you're in a, then you can enter that kind of problem-solving mindset. If you don't believe there's a possible solution, or you don't believe you're capable of solving it, then you're stuck. Then you won't be able to, you won't engage it in the same way. So this is, this is really kind of a great segue into the next kind of question or, or topic is there is some research out there, a lot, actually a lot of research that shows that people at the top of their classes are not really good entrepreneurs. Mm. And people that are in the middle or even at the bottom actually thrive in that environment. And I wonder if it's because entrepreneurship does have some failure rate and the people up here don't want to accept that failure rate. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably part of it. Uh, part of it too is a lot of great entrepreneurs uh, have uh, some attention deficit issues, which can make it hard to, to be an excellent student because it's, it gets uninteresting at some mm-hmm. point, but it, it's a different mindset from, having new and different problems happening every day that you have to shift your attention from one thing to another, which is really an important skill set for an entrepreneur. So there, I think there's a lot of factors, but that's one of them that, that uh, you have to, I mean, most businesses fail. So if you, if you start a business and you fail and you go, well, I guess that's not for me, then, then you're done. But if, if you are, able to go with that and go, well, that failed. Well, what didn't work? Let's bring that to the next venture. Let's, let's, let's solve that problem next time. And that's when you get the, you know, the great successes over time. So how does the happy, what would you give advice for entrepreneurs or, um, in that situation? Cause that can be, that can bring you down. How do they maintain, oh, yeah. how, how do they maintain happiness in that situation? Yeah, well it is, it's, you know, it's not, pleasant <laughs> it's failing failings an awful feeling uh, but if you can deal with it like we were talking about earlier as an emotion and go okay yeah of course i feel awful right now and spend a little time there you know kind of accept that this feels awful but then as much as possible as soon as possible See if you can shift into problem solving. Okay, what, what step can I take today that would move me out of that place and into a better place? And maybe it's just a little step. It doesn't matter. If it's, it's, it's the direction that matters more than, than how far you go in a given day. So Which that can, is, go ahead. Yeah, so if you can just begin to take some positive step toward, you know, find an action you can take that moves you closer, you know, moves you down a better path. If you can do that every day, then that builds momentum in a positive way. Which is interesting. As I'm seeing this in business, in life, in all of these different areas, we can enter this state of flow and it all, I, I keep hearing this thread that you keep bringing into everything, which is having this ownership or this, this sense of agency that I am in control and I have the power to find a solution. I have the power to bring change. So let's bring this into our financial life because yeah. I think it's extremely relevant. So when we are talking to people about finances and money, it's interesting how many people would raise their hand and say, hey, look, I am not where I'd like to be right now already. So we all have this reaching for something that we're 
we're on our way to, we're on this journey. And the most successful people are the people who take that responsibility and say, hey, I want to be in financial control. I want to take this ownership. I'm going to drive my own life. I'm going to figure out what I need to do. And maybe they don't have all the resources, but they say, okay, I, I need to find somebody to help me with that. But how, let's just talk about money and happiness in general. How yeah. are they connected and, and what does it mean to truly have happiness as you're pursuing a goal of taking responsibility for your wealth? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of different ways to come at this. One of them is uh, we do need a certain amount of money to be happy. I mean, if we're uh, mm -hmm. uh, there, the, the research, some of the research says, you know, once, once you get your basic needs of food, shelter, you know, basic needs met, uh, then the impact of more money is much less. It's not that it doesn't have any impact, but that's the big hill. You know, so if you get to the point where you're, you're secure in your home and you're, you're, you know, you're going to eat and, you know, you have your basic uh, needs met, then the, the, you know, the trajectory of happiness compared to your wealth, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's not as steep. That's interesting. Okay. But here's, here's what makes us most miserable is when we compare what we have to what other people have. Mm -hmm. So if I have, you know, if I have $10 million, but all my friends have a hundred million dollars and that matters to me, I'm going to be miserable. I'm not going to enjoy that. I have $10 million. Uh, mm. Uh, or if I'm making half a million a year and all my friends are making, you know, five million a year, uh, I'm going to be, and I compare myself to them, then that half a million a year is going to seem like I'm in poverty. So it's the comparison that really makes us miserable. And, and that, that's where, that's where envy is so, uh, such a horrible, horrible thing because it does two things. It, we treat, we see other people as things. So it's not, here's my friend over here. It's here's my friend that makes 10 times what I make. They become a thing. Mm. And, and it also uh, impoverishes my sense of, of uh, ability. So, and I don't think I can do that. And then I feel bad about myself. So, so that's the way to feel miserable about money is to compare yourself. And so the, the way out of that is to think, okay, well, what do I have? The way out of that is basically, you know, in a word, gratitude. If you I can focus it. on what you do have, you, if you can focus on, on the blessings, you know, the, the opportunities you have, the good people, the, the wherewithal that you've, you've created or, or have, the more you focus on what you do have, the less that kind of envy and comparing misery can enter into your life. And also deliberately celebrating other people's wins, deliberately celebrating their success. So if you can have deliberately take the stance of, well, my friend makes 10 times what I make. That's awesome. Great. They must've created some, some wonderful things that, because it's important also to understand where wealth comes comes from. It's not stacks of paper or, or numbers. That's its expression, but it comes from creating value that other people want and that other people yes. want to trade their money for. Yes. And so, if somebody's, I, you know, there's people that can make money by defrauding people and in rotten ways. That that happens, but that's not the way it happens you know it's that's usually that's, temporary or fleeting yeah, and yeah. causes so, distrust with yeah. others yeah so the primary way that wealth wealth is the way that wealth is created is creating value that other people want so that what you have to offer is more valuable to them than what they trade you for and the more people do that the more wealth is created and the more abundance we all have so understanding that makes it easier to celebrate other people's success because they're, you're in it, you're collaborating. We're all collaborating together. And that's a very different mindset from, 
well, I have this, they have that, and we're, but I'm not, you know, I'm failing because I'm not doing well in comparison to them. So those are, those are really, really big. Yeah, I mean, this is fascinating. I mean, we're huge fans of The Go-Giver, um, Bob Berg, and that, that work that he did mm. on dollars follow value and, mm. and exactly what you're talking about, that value creation and giving value to others. And what I see is really interesting is that if we focus on just the dollars that we have, then we're looking at the outcome instead yeah. of the means to achieve that, which the means is then valuing the people that you're actually serving so that yeah. you can give them the most value. And that's the opposite of envy, where you said envy is uh, treating people as objects and things, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and treating people like objects is kind of the root of all evil. <laughs> that's what enables us to do awful things to other people. Ah, if they're not people. So, so it really is, uh, there's so much wrapped up in this, in what we're talking about on, on so many levels. Uh, but the deliberate, deliberately celebrating other people's uh, success and, and creation and, and focusing on what we do have. And again, this isn't about pretending or make believe or, or, you know, there's, there's bad things happen in the world. There's bad people that do bad things. It's not about it, pretending that doesn't exist. It's about what you choose to focus on most of the time. That's awesome. So focus on valuing people and taking ownership of our own financial life then would put us in that, that seat of, um, not autonomy, that's not the word I'm looking for, but self-efficacy, that we yeah. believe that we can create this wealth as opposed to they have more than I do, I can never get there. So yeah. I, I see all these threads connecting with growth yeah. mindset and, and the sense of flow and valuing your work and valuing people and taking control. I mean, it's interesting how they're all wrapped up together. And then you mentioned gratitude as well. And that just helps you to attract more of what you're focusing on. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So there, go ahead. Th yeah. There's, there are two very, you know, kind of essential self strengthening things. One is gratitude because if you're, if you're thinking about the, the good people and the opportunities and, and really owning that, it gives you a very benevolent, strong place to stand. The other thing is what you earn. So, which is also another way of thinking about it is grateful for my younger self, <laughs> you know, things that I've, that I've done, challenges that I've faced and overcome, triumphs that I've had, failures that I've lived through and come out the other side, things that you can be proud of, that also strengthens us. So, uh, you know, I, I have some of my water polo trophies and stuff around, not because I like to gloat about them, but because if when I'm in a situation where I'm trying something new or it might be a little scary, that reminds me, oh, yeah, I'm a person who's done this. So and that good. helps me feel better going in, stronger going in. That is so good. And I think sometimes we discredit that. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was just something little or small. But at the same time, I've heard this idea of reminding yourself of, of the consistency that you've had in all these other areas and the way that yeah. you've persevered. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know Rachel Hollis talks about that in one of her books. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but um, she has a, a, another best-selling book that came out called um, Girls Stop Apologizing. It's typically to uh, the audience, but it has mm -hmm. that idea in it that when you're facing something new, to look back and write a letter to your persistence. Mm, your persistence wonderful. I'm so thankful for all the things that you brought me through in my life journey up until this point, this particular thing and this particular thing, and, and you're, you're thanking your persistence. And I just thought, that's really congruent with what you just yeah. shared. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's what uh, Nathaniel Brandon's, my favorite definition of his of self-esteem, which is a complicated term that he's used in a lot of different ways. But I, was just gonna, I was just going to go there. That's yeah. so weird. I was yeah. just going to go there. Yeah, it's the reputation you build with yourself. Oh. It's because yeah. being, a, being in education so many years, and people were always saying, you know, we have – and whether the administration or parents, they were always like, we got to help them build their self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And I was always like, no, that, that's impossible for you to do. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't, you know, gloat on them and so on and so forth and say, you're the greatest person in the world. That doesn't help their <laughs> yeah. self-esteem. What yeah. helps their self-esteem is actually them overcoming something or working hard towards something and that yeah. they feel good about themselves. So that's the reputation you're talking about. They yeah. like their reputation yeah. that they yeah. built. 
Not exactly. That some, not that it's this false thing that somebody else is trying to build for them. Exactly. It's something you earn. It's something that you create for yourself. And actually, it's, it's, there's a lot of good intention in what people are doing with, you know, giving, you know, not keeping score for kids and, you know, giving them participation medals and things instead of and not and, and just kind of pumping them up. But actually what you're doing when you do that is building a fixed trait mindset. You're saying, well, you're good just because you exist. It comes and in the full circle. Yeah. And there, there's a foundational level where, yes, you're good because you exist. You want to have that sense of I exist and that's good. But in terms of what you do, your actions, your decisions, your behavior, your, your, you know, your, what you do in the world, that, you know, what you bring to that really matters. So entrepreneurs need to realize that when they're when they're working on something, you know, because I've noticed this in some of the business consulting groups I'm in, you know, people go in there and they say, um, you know, you're going to make it, you know, keep it up, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I like the people that say, no, now listen, this is what you have to do to be successful. Yes, exactly. Okay? If you do that, you will be successful. You don't deserve to be successful just because you're going to try at this. Right, mm-hmm. okay? right. And then when they are successful, then that's really, then they really feel good about it. And the other thing we talk about is the circumstances. And I think this Mm -hmm. is what you're talking about. You can start the perfect business at the wrong time and fail. Absolutely. You can start start the worst business at the the correct time and be successful. Yeah. So you rocks. (laughs) Yeah. Rachel doesn't know about those. <laughs> we had pet everything else. Those little pet. I've I've seen pet rocks. rocks yeah. Maybe they may even be coming back in. But they had those little like I don't know. It was like a digitized little animal that you had a, on a keychain, and you would feed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. very similar. Yeah, but that, I, I wanted to to something you were saying about um, the the. When I when I do consulting with businesses, one of the things I find is is the, the businesses that work that their, their culture works. They don't just have principles, you know, values that you know we have integrity or we we do the best. You know, they're not vague, abstract things. They're actions. They're they're tangible things. Like you know, we're gonna be we're gonna self manage. We're going to uh, we're going to take we're going to look for uh, failures and and find solutions we're going to uh, you know treat people with respect and and uh, you know not gossip behind people's back mm. um, we're you know there there's there's very tangible the principles are laid out in actions where it's it's concrete and you can look at that and you go yeah I can do that but it's a choice to do and so the companies that really work have that kind of, I mean, there's companies that work that don't do that. They just, they find a way somehow. But I found that that's a real, a real important bedrock uh, for an effective business is having well-defined that. principles that you function by. I think what's interesting is we talk about having principles in your financial life as well, not just mm-hmm. looking for this construct or something external to yourself, this, I want this particular financial product with this particular rate of return because so-and-so bought this particular stock and it, Mm. you know, was super hot for them or they bought this particular type of uh, rental property. And so therefore I'm just going to copy what they're doing. And we're looking for this thing outside of us to create wealth with, and really it needs to come back to principles first. And then what strategies do you use around those principles? And then finally, what are the right products for you to save in, invest in, and be able to create that wealth? And really, we just come always, always, always back to that dollars follow value as a people yeah. that you have to be able to create that value. And you can do that in your business as your entrepreneurship endeavors. You're serving people. You're creating value even through your investments. When you invest, mm-hmm. you are providing a valuable thing to the people who are purchasing your investment. If it's property or business, usually it's those things if, you, if you're wanting to create cash flow. But in yeah. any place, you're coming back to the principle first, not just having a end goal. And I love that you're talking about having principles be actions, something yeah. that you do. 
And I think I think this probably came back to Carol Dweck and the fixed growth mindset thing as well. But they said, don't praise your child for you did a great yeah. job, but instead say, I admire the work that you put into that. You exactly. tried so hard. I can see your effort and praise the effort rather than praising the outcome, which I don't know how that works. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. if, if that's counterintuitive, but yeah. No, that's that's very very important because because if it's you know you're you're brilliant if you tell your child how brilliant they are that then well I guess I just am mm. but if you say you did so great on that test or your your performance was wonderful and I saw how hard you were practicing I know and uh, you know I know how much work you put into that and that was you did a great job you can be proud of yourself for that great job you did. It's really, really important. And what's beautiful is it's easily changed. So if you have a fixed trait mindset, the main thing you need to do is bring to awareness, oh, this is a fixed trait mindset. Wait a minute. What am I doing to earn this? Okay, what am I doing to, to build this skill? Or to, you know, what, what, what are the steps for me to take now to make a success out of this? So it, it's the main work is recognizing, oh, I'm just assuming that I should be a success because I am. Um, so the, the, the consciousness is the essential piece. That's great. This has been a really fascinating conversation. I think, um, Bruce, is there anything else that you would like to ask kind of before we bring this to a close? No, I think um, this is going to be one of those podcasts that people are going to start listening or they're going to start listening to the beginning and not sure that they want to go there and continue to listening, but they're just going to get sucked in because it's going to touch so many people's lives in so many different ways. And I really just want to thank Dr. Joel today for, for being on and really, really putting everything in perspective. I really think it's going to help all the listeners. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate that. Yes, absolutely. So, um, Dr. Wade, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, find out more about your work, how would they go about connecting? I'm sure that they could work with you directly. They could read mm -hmm. your books. How, how do they find out more? Yeah, so I have, my website is drjoelwade.com, D-R-J-O-E-L-W-A-D-E.com. And all my information is on there. I have, uh, I have things that I've written and a link to my podcast is on there. So that's the place to go. And I work individually and with couples. I work with people around the world by a phone or Skype. I work with with companies in different ways, either personal coaching or or consulting. And and so contact me, and I'm happy to talk with you and see if it'd be a good fit. You also do speaking as well, right? Go ahead. Yes. Yes, I do. I do speaking and and workshops, and uh, and I I like to. One of the things that's really important to me is I don't just paste things on. You know, I don't have like here's a shtick that I do that I paste on to whatever wherever I go. It's really important to me to have a sense of what's you know, if you're an individual or a couple or a business. I want to know who you are and what your issues are, you know, what your situation is so I can uh, custom fit what I do. So I can really address, attune to what you need and, and as much as I can speak directly to that. That's excellent. And I think really needed because there's no one size fits all financial plan. There's no, no. one size fits all health plan. There's no one size fits all exercise plan. There's no one size fits all communication model for every family should just talk like this. And then you're going to have no family or conflict resolution. I mean, anything that you're looking at to improve in, in your area, in your life to become excellent. Yeah. Really we're, yeah, we're, we're all too different in on the inside. We're all, you know, unique worlds on the inside. So every every couple is its own creation. It's a relationship that's created between two people. Uh, every business is people don't appreciate what a creative act creating making a business is. It's as creative as writing a symphony or or making great art. It's uh, entrepreneurs are creators. You're creating something out of nothing. <laughs> So the, the uniqueness of, of who each of us is, is is really essential, I think. 
That's fascinating. And I could listen to you for a very long time. I love how you brought that in uh, about wow. being creators and wow. complex even than a symphony. That's awesome. Wow. Well, um, I wanted to I'll let you guys know that we will have the link in the show notes as well. So once the podcast comes out, we will make sure that we have drjoelwade.com in the link to the show notes. And then we also will always make sure that you know how to find us. So you can come back to themoneyadvantage.com. We can help you in any area of your financial life. So we want to help people to in to increase their cash flow in their business with cash flow strategies. We help with infinite banking and privatized banking, and then also with alternative investments so that you can find a way to grow your cash and create a cash flow return outside of the stock market and that volatility. So I just wanted to thank you so much for being with us today. I know that this was a, a huge pleasure for us and um, very insightful and eye-opening and building for us. Thank, thank you, Dr. Rachel. Thank you, Bruce. It's a delight. So thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, thank you for listening today. And in closing, please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.